we're in this series uh, entitled Foundations, and currently we're in the second of three weeks in our discussion about the Trinity. Trinity. Um, the Trinity is the doctrine that God is three distinct persons, yet in Scripture it teaches that there is only one God. What? Because in my book, one plus one plus one equals three. How can this be? We do not worship a plurality of gods. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God, and yet he is displayed in Scripture as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery of the Christian faith. We just say that right out in front. I was uh, at Big Five Sporting Goods in Vista, California, and it was a hot day, 90-something degrees, and John was with me. And... There was a table strategically placed by the entrance to where you had to walk by it with tables and literature and what have you uh, from the Watchtower Bible and Track Society. And you know me. I was really trying to avoid it so I could just skirt and get in and get my stuff and get out. So I'm walking by, and, and, and of course, they, they flag me down. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I, I really don't. You know, well, here's some literature. You know, and I get sucked into the conversation real quickly. I said, you see, I, I, I believe that Jesus is, is God. And I, I know that you don't teach that. And so we, we're not going to find common ground here. Uh, well, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. I said, I, okay, here we go. Neither is theocratic kingdom. And that's, Okay, so we went into this little, I tried to just, uh, can I please go now? And uh, as we, as they just started discussing things, well, you don't you know that the Trinity was created in the Council of Nicaea in 325? That's where it was thought up. Before that, it was not. And I said, you know, I, I noticed you two are a couple, and you're very kind. I said, and, and, uh, I said, are you married? Yes. And at that time in California, there was a ballot. Um, there was a measure on the ballot to define marriage as between one man and one woman. And I said to them, why are they doing that? Why are they putting that on the, on the ballot? Because the definition of marriage, which thousands of people throughout all time have understood, is being challenged. I said, that's the same thing that happened at the council. They believed that Jesus was God. They believed the Father was God. They believed the Holy Spirit was God. And it was being challenged by heresy. And so at the council, wise men, they took... This, these things into account, and they wrote it down. And the Council of Nicaea in 325, it later had to be amended in 381 to include the Holy Spirit because of another heresy that had come up that the, that the Holy Spirit was not God. And so these councils were a reaction to heresy in the church. How do you do? You have to write it down and define it. And so the Trinity has always been a, a big issue. Because when we deal with the person of God, we want to get it right. Because you can get it wrong, and that's what separates us all. If you get, you can be wrong about, you know, women pastors in the church. You can be wrong about tongues. You can be wrong about all these things, and it's not a salvation. You are wrong about the person of Jesus Christ. You're off, and it means eternity apart from God. He is the way, the truth, and life. Only God can forgive sins. We'll discuss these things. He is God. And so we want to uh, understand that there are different points of view in the world. However, 
Jesus himself declared to be God. Jesus himself declared that he was God. He was almighty God. And we'll go through these things today. Other people worshipped him as God. The scriptures foretold that he was God. They point to it. And, and why do we want to know this? To win an intellectual argument in front of Big Five? Got you. Yeah. Woohoo! Thank you, Lord. I know you're Jesus. Now they don't. No. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. This is the thing. God wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know him deeply and to seek after who he is. He wants you to know everything about him. He wants you to dig and find after him. How many of you are married? Again, I use this. How many of your wives want you, wives, do you want your husband to pursue you? Men, do you want your wives to pursue them? You know, I mean, there's this, there's this innate thing I think that's in us that God wants us to seek him out. He wants us to choose him, love, and to go after him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And part of that is discovering who he is, not just to get doctrines down, but to know him and to love him. And so that's part of it. So yes, we're going to be feeding the intellect, but I want your soul to be fed. That, our, our, that we be changed in our thinking to know that he is powerful to take any circumstance you have and to change your life according to his will, not ours. Amen? And so these guys in 325, I recommend you take time to, to read it, the Council of Nicaea, where it lays out uh, the Trinity. Uh, a basic definition of Trinity uh, of the Trinity is in my other Bible, but uh, sorry, I thought I had my Bible. You know, I always write stuff in the back just be able to grab it but believing that god is is three co-equal persons yet one god each distinctly god sounds like a contradiction i understand and last week uh, we established that the bible teaches that there is just one god if you remember in deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and 5 notice the shema the hebrews say it it says hero israel the lord our god the lord is one Clearly in Scripture, there is one God, and yet there are two words for one in Hebrew. One is singular, and one is unity. And the one that they use in that is, Hear, Lord Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, is unified, is one. We're there, he's one. And so even within that word one, there is, a, there is there's room for plurality. And the Old Testament hints at the Trinity. It is a progressive revelation to where you get into Jesus Christ in, in Revelation. You see the full revelation of, of, of the Godhead. But uh, so the Bible clearly teaches that there's one God yet in the Old Testament. Uh, it hints within even the grammar that there's plurality, a unity within the one God. We talked about that in the very title, the name of God, Elohim. If you, if you, if I, I highly recommend that you use the back of your uh, bulletin to write down verses, titles. You sketch it out because it's going to go right over your head. If I start shooting out machine gunning verses, you want to go over these. You want to dig into it. Amen. Uh, so it says the Bible clearly in Genesis one one it says uh, in the Hebrew uh, in, in the, it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We all agree that says in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. Well, the name for God there is Elohim. 
Now, when you put an I am at the end of something in Hebrew, it's plural. So it's saying, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. Strange. Yet the scriptures clearly declare there is one God. And then there are other instances in the Old Testament where even though God is one, it alludes to a plurality. Genesis 1.26, we spoke about this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The angels do not create. God creates. Who is he talking to? People say, well, it's like the queen. It's a, it's a plural majestic, a majestic plural. In other words, where the queen says, let us go to lunch, she means I'm going to lunch. This is the only place in Scripture, these are the only places when, when God is present and speaking that, that this happens. This does not happen by any other ruler or king or authority in Scripture. It only happens and deals with, so take it for what it is. Genesis 3.21, then man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Man has like become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, let us go down and confuse their language. Let us go down. Isaiah chapter 6, who will go for us? So although it's not definite, a strong case can be made from the Old Testament that God is three distinct persons, yet one God. And this is the doctrine of the Trinity. There's a hint at it. Now, the three persons of the Trinity are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God the Father is very easy to identify throughout Scripture. He's the most prominent of the three. This is the way God decides to reveal himself. Isaiah 64, 7 through 8 says, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are your clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. So God is clearly identified as the Father there. Romans 1.7, in Paul's introduction, so New Testament example, and again, there's several in both. I'm just giving a short uh, reason why uh, the Father is God. To all that are at Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord, Kurios, Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that. So the scripture clearly identifies the Father as God. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, why is God as clearly identified in a verse? And it also says, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are two different, right? We're going to talk a little bit about this more. So what about the Son? That's our focus this week. The Son, is he God? Old Testament allusions to this. Old Testament allusions. You might want to write these down because these are fun. These are cool to get into. Old Testament, we're talking 4,000 years ago. The angel of the Lord, and this is one of my favorite references. Uh, the angel of the Lord, Genesis 16, 7 through 13, the angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar. Remember Hagar and Ishmael? This is where we, we have the, uh, the cousins of the Jews. The Arab population comes from Hagar and, and Ishmael. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring. This is Genesis 16, 7 through 13 in the desert. And it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Boy, the only... Okay, we won't get into that. I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel of the Lord added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. 
If you are Jewish, you absolutely know that this is the promise of God that was to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to their descendants. I will, I will, uh, I will, ex- I will expand your descendants. This is a promise only God makes, and the angel of the Lord is making this. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. (laughs) His hands will be against everyone, and every hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Bir La, uh, yes, it's named after Bir, Bir La Horai. It is still there between Kadesh and bread. The angel of the Lord is called God by Hagar. Very interesting. So the angel of the Lord, this mysterious person, I'm not going to go into that much depth with the rest of these, but the angel of the Lord is identified as God in the Old Testament. How can the angel of the Lord have power to increase people? Increase, only God can do that. Genesis 22, when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, and starting in verse 9, it says, When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. He was about to kill his only son, as God had commanded him. Sounds crazy, right? But the, name of the, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from him. No, you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. The angel of the Lord is speaking as God. And Abraham looked up there in the thicket and saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Listen, on that place that God told him to go, and this is a side note, Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son on this hill, Mount Moriah. And God withheld him from doing that. He said, don't do it. And then God says, I will provide myself a sacrifice. You know what happened there on that same exact spot 2,000 years later? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for our sins. God did not withhold the knife being plunged into his son. He was destroyed for us. He was bruised for us. He was killed for us. He bled for us. He was that sacrifice. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. The angel of the Lord identifies himself as God, one Abraham, the one that Abraham was sacrificing Isaac to. It continues again in the following verse. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. And he goes on. Obviously, he is identified as God. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars. So the angel of the Lord. Exodus 3.12. Now, this is one that, that kind of caught me off guard again. Exodus 3.12. The burning bush. Who was it that called to Moses from the burning bush? God. Verse 2 of chapter 3 of Exodus says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Wait a second. We teach Sunday school. God did it, right? 
It was the angel of the Lord calling out from the burning of the bush. Moses saw that through him, uh, that through the bush, though the, though the bush was on fire, did not burn him up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. It's like, wait, God's looking, but he's in the bush? What's going on here? Sounds like there's a dialogue or trialogue going on. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your fathers. This is the angel of the Lord speaking. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And he goes on speaking with him about what he will do. So who was in the burning bush? The angel of the Lord. Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, 11 through 23. It says the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak and started talking to him. And he starts, says, uh, when, the, when the angel of the Lord spoke to him, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. And he's just being polite. But eventually it comes out and says, wow, you're Lord. And the, and, and the angel of the Lord identifies himself as Lord. So you guys getting the point here? My favorite. One is the last one, and I will share, and it's more subtle, and it doesn't say the angel of the Lord, but nevertheless, I believe it's uh, none other than Jesus Christ himself. Remember Joshua? Now, he's about to take over Jericho. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, This is my message. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. Who says take off your sandals? Angel of the Lord. Who says take off your sandals? God. And Joshua did so. It's interesting. Who won the battle of Jericho? Why was it that they broke the Sabbath law? They marched six days on the seventh, time, seventh day on the Sabbath. They marched as many times. They marched seven times as much on the Sabbath. Who was with them? It wasn't Joshua who won the war. It was Joshua who won the war. Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Why don't your disciples fast? Because I'm with them freedom when Jesus is with us. It's pretty amazing. But there are many Old Testament references alluding to the deity of Jesus Christ. However, due to time, I'm going to have to move to the New Testament real quick. But before I do, one last one, and this is one that's, that's just very, everybody knows about this one. Isaiah 6, 9, Christmas time. Ready? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. So who is this son that's given? Son of God. I'd encourage you to look through the Old, the, the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. Now this is very important. 
looking through the Old Testament. Go search it out, but look at it through the lens of Jesus. You will find Jesus on every single page. Remember Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They speak of Jesus. The Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Look at it through that lens. Again, on the road to Romeus, remember it says in Luke 24, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to him what was said in all scripture concerning himself. I tell you, it will revolutionize your Bible reading when you're reading through these passages in the Old Testament. Look for Jesus. You will see him. Hebrews, amazing. And, and what's that little uh, saying? That the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. That's kind of an interesting little, little thought there. But now the New Testament, it clearly teaches that Jesus is God. John 1, 1 through 4. Let's, uh, since you guys all have your Bibles still opened up there. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Ready to go. Let's read John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 together. It says, pause, 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 reading together, ready, begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The word is distinct from God. Notice it's distinct. He was with God, yet he's identified as God. Who's the word? Skip down to verse 14, and it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and is identified as the Son of God. Jesus is God. Now, again, I have to share with you, you will come across those who, who say that you have to put an A in front of God. Jesus is a God, and they have it in their scriptures. The Jehovah's Witnesses do this. That's their translation of scriptures. It says that Jesus is a God. Well, unfortunately, if you put A in front of that, and it does not work out in the Greek whatsoever, but if you do, you also have to put it in every other place it says God in the New Testament to be correct. They don't do that. Conveniently, just in that one spot, because it fits their theology. So if you run across that, don't worry about it. Just pass it up. Jesus claims himself to be God. Did you know that? I'll read a little bit of the context here in John chapter 8. It's always a, it starts off with uh, so wonderful with the Pharisees calling Jesus a Samaritan and a demon, uh, demon possessed. John 8:48 says the Jews answered him, "Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed?" Now you got to understand, Samaritan has a, a really bad racial uh, connotation within the culture. Uh, to call a Jew a Samaritan, they hated the Samaritans. And so it was a very bad insult. You're a Samaritan. And there are reasons for that, and I've talked about them before, uh, because they, they married, uh, way back when they got conquered, they married the uh, uh, Syrian army that came in and 
they worship false gods. And so the true Jews were upset about that. And he goes on and says, I am not possessed by a G- demon, Jesus says, but I, am on- but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Now listen up, this is very important. Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this they exclaimed, now we know you are demon possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Even the prophets, these guys we look up to, died. And yet you're saying that if we obey your word, you will not die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. What do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Now, these are fighting words. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do, not, but I do know him and obey his word. And now this is the part that really picks. So Jesus was very politically correct, wasn't he? <clears throat> Always trying to make sure he didn't offend anybody. Verse 56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How does he have knowledge of this information? You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and yet you say you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him with rocks. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, why did they try to kill Jesus? Why did they try? I always have to clarify with rocks. Um, why did they have to, why did they want to kill him? Because he was calling himself God. If you recall Moses in the burning bush, later in that conversation, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what what am I going to tell them? The burning bush sent me? No, and he says, tell them that I am who I am sent you. This is what you're to tell them. I am has sent me to you. Now remember who's speaking out of the burning bush. The angel of the Lord. God, the angel of the Lord. Very interesting. And he tells Moses to tell them, I am that I am sent you. That phrase is ego emi. And what happens is the Old Testament is is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. Well, there's a time when they translated the Old Testament. A bunch of Jewish rabbis translated the Old Testament into Greek word for word. And it's called the Septuagint. It's read, it's read in, in, it's in Greek. And so the word there for I am that I am is ego and me. And guess what word Jesus is using in John 8, 58 for the eternal God. He says, before Abraham existed, I am that I am. And they knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus said, I am the eternal God. That same person in the burning bush, that's me, buddy. And that's why they picked up rocks and sought to kill him. Because Jesus straight out said, I'm God. That's how I know Abraham existed, because I talked with him, and he saw it, and he rejoiced at my day. It's pretty amazing. Jesus is very bold, very straightforward in that 
And again in John 10, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Why are you stoning me for any good work? They re- uh, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. John 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that we, that, uh, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you so such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. One more. Remember the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Lowers him through the, through the building. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no one left in the room. No one outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Someone came carrying a paralyzed man. They carried, uh, carried by four of them. And then they had put him down through the roof, right? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Imagine if someone just, like, this place is so packed. Jesus was in here, and they, they ripped out the stuff and lowered a guy. I'm like, what in the world's going on? I lowered a guy on his thing, and he was a paralyzed guy, and he's all messed up. And Jesus just looked at this guy and going, you guys have faith. I love that. And he goes, you know what, son? Your sins are forgiven. This looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Well, guess who's in the, in the crowd? The teachers of the law, the Pharisees. The religious guys. And so the, the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? They were right. God alone can forgive our sins. So verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit. This is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say. To this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven and walk away? Are they really? But so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I tell you, take up your mat and walk. To show that a spiritual reality had happened, he had granted a miracle, a physical manifestation of it. He said, get up your mat and walk, and he got up and walked out. Jesus was saying, guess what? I'm God. I say it, and it happens. I don't know about you, but I say things all the time, and hardly anything happens. <laughs> Anybody experience that? Jesus not only claimed to be God, but he also accepted worship. And I don't have time to go on all these, but another reason why Jesus accepted worship. People fall, fell down and worshipped him all the time. You do not worship anyone but God. That's clearly, Jesus was a Jew. He would have stopped them from worshiping, breaking the commandment. But he accepted worship. Thomas, right there, when when Thomas said, uh, I'll just read that little part. It says, uh, 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, when we have, the, uh, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. I want to see it. Very American. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the do though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So was Jesus with them, though he wasn't seen? So is Jesus with us, though he's not seen? He was training his disciples, and he wants to train us. He is with us this moment. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, I've got to correct your theology there. You're right. And he let it go. Jesus is God. We're going to end with this. I want everybody to open up to Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. And follow with me. This will take all of three minutes. If you don't have a Bible, they're underneath. Revelation 1, verse 8. Or read from a friend. Raise your hand if you're there. Okay. If you're lying, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Revelation 1, 8. We're going to read just that verse together. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Real quickly, look at me. Who is the Alpha and the Omega? Obviously a title for God. I am the Lord, right? Turn to Revelation 22, 13. Sword drill. Let me know when you're there. Raise your hand if you're at Revelation 22, 13. I was always the slowest in the class, still am, so don't worry, I'll wait. Everybody there? We're going to read, read verse 13 together. Begin. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So the Alpha and the Omega is also the first and the last. These are my notes, right? Sorry. So the Alpha and the Omega is the first and the last. Beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. We, do, we, do we get this? Now flip over to Isaiah 44, 6. Okay? Come on, you can do it. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Psalm, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah 44, 6. We want to clearly identify, and this is going to take one more minute, we want to clearly identify who, from Scripture, the first and the last is. Raise your hand if you're there. Let's read together Isaiah 44, 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last, apart from me. There is no God. So who's the first and the last? God. Pretty clear. First and last is God. There's no other. Do we all agree? Say amen. amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. I, 
know. I just want you to get used to flipping around there. <coughs> Raise your hand when you're there. Revelation 1, 17. Okay, reading together just verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Now, real quickly, we've established that that first and the last is God. Now, please read verse 18 with me. What happened? Not, not in our reading, but I mean, what happened in the scripture? What happened to the first and the last? What happened to him? He died. When did God die? I only know of one person who died and was alive again. It's Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God. He is God. The Father is God. And next week we're going to go to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus died. Bingo. He's the first and the last. He died for our sins. And he is alive forevermore. And he holds the keys of death and hell. He loves you. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've sinned. God Almighty, you can't hide from him. And guess what? He paid the price. He alone can take away your sins. Not how many good things you do, how many bad things you do. You cry out to him and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And guess what? Because he loves you, he will. Because he said it, it will happen. And you will be his forever and ever and ever. Amen? Awesome. Don't let anybody mess with the person of Jesus Christ. He is God. You start messing with that, we have problems. He loves you, and he invites you to receive forgiveness. And he invites, you know, he wants to give you life right here and now on this earth that goes on forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for sending your only son, flesh of your flesh, that we could be here and experience his goodness, his forgiveness, and that all the things that we've uh We've done in rebellion towards you in our lives. could be washed away, that we don't have to face the judgment that is coming to each person. That apart from your son, we will be separated throughout all eternity in a place called hell, and it is not the place you want us to go. So much so that you sent your son. You sent yourself to come and die for us. And that verse that says that you know, for scarcely will someone die for someone good, but, you know, to die for someone that they didn't even know that was actually their enemy, what kind of love is this? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were far off, he's called us to himself. And again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to be saved, if you want to, to, to receive Jesus as your Savior, I want you to raise your hand and put it up and down quickly. 
God bless you. Anyone else? And again, this is not between you and the church. This is between you and him. You're not saved even by just praying this prayer. It's through faith, trusting in him that he is taking away your sins. Let go of your pride. Let go of all of it and surrender your heart to Jesus. If you're feeling the tug in your heart, you know it's him pulling on you. Well, who else in the world would be doing that? If you want to see Jesus, raise your hand, pop it up and down, we'll pray for you. Lord bless you. Anyone else? Nice and high, up and down. God bless you. Anyone else? Let's give it all away. He loves you. One last time, anyone else? Will you pray with me? Those of you who raised your hand. Father, I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins. Thank you. And I believe that you raised him again three days later. And just like him, I also will rise from the grave. Fill my heart with love. Cleanse me from my sin. Make me clean again. Take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Make it tender once again for the world around me and for you. Help me to love as you have loved. In the name of Jesus, amen. All of you, I want you to have an absolutely awesome week. For those of you who raised your hands, we have Bibles for you in the back. New Believer Bibles, I want you to just to get into the Word. The Word is going to bring you life. God bless you. Have an absolutely wonderful week. If you need prayer, I know you need prayer. I need prayer, right? We're here for you. God bless you. Have a great week.